Who was it who said, we have nothing to fear but fear itself? Anybody? Franklin D. Roosevelt, the American president. But Isaac Newton, he, he only feared apples. Fear is a very strong emotion, and it often protects us from things we allow, that are liable to do us harm. But it can also take over your life if that fear is of something that isn't going to hurt you anyway. For most of my life, I've had arachnophobia. The irrational fear of spiders... And more recently, I began to suffer with hemiophobia. Do you know what that is? Blood. That's right. Fear of blood. It took me nine months to get over it, and now I actually give blood uh, as part of the blood donation. Many people have a phobia, but I hope there isn't anybody here with homilophobia. Anybody here with homilophobia? Fear of sermons. If you do, or indeed, if you begin to develop it over the next few minutes, a few deep breaths and the thought that the alternative is daytime Sunday television should do the trick. So we're thinking about fear. Anyone here scared of snakes? All right, okay, so we're going to have the first slide. Colin, our first slide, okay. For those scared of snakes, here we go. How about rats? Rats and mice? Rats and mice? Oh, we don't like rats and mice. No, come on then. There we are. <clears throat> Anybody here like me, scared of spiders? Yes? There we are, scared of spiders. Adders. <laughs> so, that wasn't too bad, was it? I think we've all managed to, to, to cope with that. But I'm now going to show you a video of an actual spider. Oh, yes. <laughs> and bear in mind, I have arachnophobia, okay? So it's not going to be that bad. And it's very, very tiny. Are you scared of money spiders? You are? Wow. Well, I should look away. But you're going to miss something if you're scared of a money spider, all right? You will miss something quite unique. You've probably never seen anything quite like this before. Uh, Colin, is <laughs> he said, you realise we're going to have to play this video again. Right, here we go. Hey, it's a cruel world being a peacock spider. Well, I was chosen for a number of reasons. Um, I thought it was, um, the ending was quite appropriate for the weekend after Valentine's. <laughs> Big display, female decided to eat male anyway. But there's a more serious point, though. Is that what we feel? A fear that when we're in a situation where our faith becomes more prominent, more visible to others, then things might go, go wrong. I've talked before about when it comes to sharing your faith with others, you can feel very vulnerable, very exposed in a way, perhaps fearful that um, you will be asked some sort of... Uh, question that you have no idea the answer to. But it's so obvious, so crippling, 
of your reasoning that you chose to step that step of faith, that you feel the ground will open up underneath you and you will fall into a bottomless pit of despair. Now, in over 20 years of being a Christian, I've felt that many times, but I've never actually been asked that question. Perhaps what's even more difficult is to meet and share with someone in pastoral care. Not a quick chat in the supermarket, although there's a place for not that. Not even just a visit for a cup of tea. Real pastoral care. Both for the carer and the person being cared for. So I'm going to try an experiment here, and I need a volunteer. <clears throat> now you have to trust me on this. It won't hurt. It won't hurt. It doesn't involve physical effort. It doesn't involve animals or insects. And it might not remind you of a bush tucker trial, but it does require trust. No, you've got to just sit over at your chair. That'll be fine. That'll be fine. Okay. You got out of this very lightly, I must say. Okay. So, what I want you to do on this piece of paper here, okay, is to write down one of your deepest and darkest secrets. But I promise that it will never, ever be made public. Okay? Ooh. Right? Where are they going to? This no, I'm not going to read it. It'll purely stay with, you know, it's just going to be what you write down there. Okay? I'm not going to watch. And then when you finish, just fold the piece of paper over. Blimey, that's a long secret. <laughs> I wasn't expecting you to write that much. <laughs> yeah. Of operations. And of, no, of, of, yeah. And it's very real. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yes. Just what it was A4, I think. Right, so that's your deepest and darkest secret, is it? My goodness me. Yeah. Right, so I'm just going to put it up here, okay? <laughs> so that's your deepest and darkest secret. Splendid. So how do you feel about that then? <laughs> I, I, I actually think that Carol's lost her words here. <laughs> I actually think Carol's lost her words here. You're feeling a bit, bit edgy that this is up here and that's your deepest and secret. And that's what it feels like sometimes when you go and do pastoral care. You're sharing something in confidence. Something that... Um, you know, um, is very private to you. How would you feel if I opened that up and passed it around? I'll give it back to you. It's true fear, that. There we are. So, when you're in a pastoral care situation, not only are you concerned and you're fearful about what you might be asked, but think about what that other person is saying to you. So that's why pastoral care is frightening for the person being cared for. They're telling you things that might be so painful and personal, but they must take that step to trust you, trust you with that information, and however well-meaningly, not to spread it around. 
If I look tired today, <clears throat> do I look tired today? A couple of people said, you look exhausted. And what, what, was, what really, really, really helped, what really helped was somebody said, oh, no, he always looks like that. Um, <laughs> you might have noticed that I haven't been at church for the last couple of weeks, and it's because Anne-Mir and I have been sleeping on a sofa. Now, I haven't been sofa surfing, um, but um, so sleeping on the sofa at my mother-in-law's. My mother-in-law has been diagnosed with breast cancer and had a mastectomy and the removal of a lymph node a couple of weeks ago. And it all sounded pretty dramatic and painful. The problem is that from a caring point of view, she seems to exhibit a type of one of the most eccentrically named phobias that there is. All right, anybody want to, to say, what, say that word then? Come on. My, somebody of words? Yes. Want to give it a go? Hippopotomnostromacrypidaliophobia. <laughs> it's barely in the dictionary, I tell you. So, um, somebody, uh, anybody guess what it is? It's not the fear of hippopotamuses. Um, surgery? No, not fear of surgery. It's fear of long words, that's right. Brilliant, isn't it? But my mother-in-law has the fear of two words. Uh, she can't say the word cancer, and she can't say the word chemotherapy. She was on the phone to her sister, and she said, well, she said, I think they've got rid of the problem, but we might have to have something else done. It's as though these words have some kind of mystical power, that if they're said, then the likelihood of the cancer spreading or having to undergo chemotherapy is somehow increased. It's a fear. And if somebody can't even say the name of the condition, it's really difficult from a pastoral care point of view. As an aside, my, mother, my mother's cousin has a phobia of mice. It's so strong she can't say the word mouse. If she needs to refer to a mouse, she calls it an Oscar. Why? I saw two Oscars in the house yesterday. Now I'm going to ask Robbie to read the first reading, and it's from the King James Bible. And because in the same way as we use traditional words for the Lord's Prayer, there are some passages in the Bible which just sound better with the poetry in which that was translated. Um, so Robbie has dusted off, and I mean dusted off his King James Bible, um, and um, he's going to give this a go. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness, for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies, Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Thank you. <clears throat> you 
You know, if you have the message, it's the Lord is the person that I think of as a person who looks after sheep. Um, yeah, it kind of loses some of the poetry, doesn't it? Now, that, um, that reading is often used at funerals. I think because of the reference to death. But look what it says. I will fear no evil, you are with me. What a comforting set of words for us who are alive. What it says is that God is with us through all the trials and tribulations of life, some of which may be scary, some of which may really drain us emotionally and physically, but he is there. I used to have a card in my wallet, it doesn't fit in the wallet anymore, which said, Jesus, with you and me together, nothing is impossible. I don't want to underestimate in any way or minimize the real problems that we all face. And sometimes what we want, the solution we've earnestly prayed for, doesn't happen. And that can be a bit disheartening. But what I've found is that given a bit of space and time to look back at both of what you were praying for and how God answered those prayers, it was actually in a way that was better than you ever originally wanted. So one of the most difficult things we can do as a Christian is to do effective pastoral care. And as we've seen, it takes trust. But it also takes prayer. It's easier to say that you're a Christian and say that you'll pray for someone whilst you're in here in church. But it's sometimes even more difficult to say this when you're visiting someone who's ill or in great distress. Janet, our second reading. This one's not King James. Our second reading is taken from Luke chapter 22, verses 31 and 34, and then 56 and 62. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the cock crows today, you will deny him three times that you know me. A servant girl saw him seated there at the fire, in the firelight, and she looked closely at him and said, This man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I do not know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. Man, I'm not, Jesus replied. About an hour later, another one asserted, Certainly, this fellow was with him, for he's a Galilean. Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you are talking about. Just as he was speaking, the cock crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter, and then Peter remembered the word that the Lord had spoken to him. Before the cock crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. A couple of unusual readings, one that's often at a funeral and the other one that's more usually heard at Easter. But when I read this passage, I for one have a lot of sympathy for Peter. Here he is, I won't let you down, I'll go to prison, I'll do anything for you. But when he, is, but when he had to say that, when he was outside Jesus' followers, if you want, the safety of the group of the disciples, you can even think of that 
say that group of disciples as the first church, then he denies he has anything to do with Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that we deny that we're Christians in these difficult situations, but there's always a temptation to take the easy route. You're visiting someone in hospital. You're going around to visit someone at home who isn't very well, isn't a Christian. You lapse into tea and sympathy. We all here believe in the power of prayer. But in some instances, we just say something like, I'll be thinking of you, or hope you feel better soon. You may be surprised at the reaction of someone if you say you will pray for them. And those who have done the prayers of the community will tell you it is very rare for the door to be slammed in your face, even by an ardent atheist. Some of you came to the Turf and Feather for a Christmas meal. Don't worry, I'm going to do another one. Um, at the beginning of December, a number of those who were attended were absolutely dyed-in-the-wool atheists. It was deliberate. <clears throat> and I asked Andrew to say grace, and no one stood up, and no one stormed out. In most cases, people accept that whether they have a faith or not, they accept that we as Christians have a faith and believe in the power of prayer. Like when you're sharing your faith, there's always that dreaded question you're going to be asked. But I have been asked these. Will your prayer cure X, Y, and Z? And the other one. So how come there's so much war, death, destruction in the world if there's a God? Ah, first question's tough. Actually, it's much tougher than the second one. The answer is I don't know to the first one but I've put it in God's hands, and I must trust him. The second is easier. I thought it was a hard question until I heard John Centineu answer the question. I thought this was brilliant. God gives us free will, he said, and that, I'm afraid, includes war and destruction. God is in those who respond, who help, sometimes risking their lives to provide aid. So we need to be brave like the little dancing spider. When you're in a difficult situation, you need to pray. And honestly, unlike the spider, the person won't bite or even eat you up. Amen.